Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Yo, Elizabeth Dutton, what you doing, girl? Zarin Burnett. I got a question for you. Yes. You know what's ridiculous? Yeah, I do, actually. Come on now. All right, listen. Lay it on me. You like football, right? Like, I like You're the football. a football guy. Yes, Ameri- Dave, American producer football. Producer Dave's a football guy. Big football mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. Um, you like how when they hit their heads and they get the brain damage, that's like your favorite part, right? You non-football fans. I know, right? Um, you know, soccer people get concussions and brain damage, yeah. too. No one talks about this, the CTE damage of <laughs> soccer. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, okay. So, good point. <laughs> um, here's here's the thing. Like, when you you think about football, and yes. especially where, like, Super Bowl time, yes. and um, it's all, like, not just the football that's being played, but the football in your tummy. Nacho cheese. Well, yeah, all the snacks, right? So, you've got, like... Um, nachos, like you said, and chili and beer. Mm-hmm. And that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. No, you know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> where are you going? Okay, so there's this thing that pairs well, as they said, with recliners, uh-huh. gaming, and late night snack attacks. Uh-huh. And um, it was, we got so many. Oh, my God. Um, of like yes. sent to us of yes. these things sent to us yeah, not but, physically but we got a lot of messages about this from so many rude dudes uh-huh. and um all working against me go on <laughs> okay so there's this thing and it's called Hormel Chili uh-huh. Chili Cheese Brew what? it's beer Hormel Chili Cheese Brew? yeah the website says yes this madness is real the tastiness of Hormel chili cheese dip has come to life as a beer. Uh, Pair your dip with sips when you pick up a four-pack of this smooth chili cheese spiced beer. It's dip o'clock, y'all. Could you imagine drinking enough to get sick and no. that stuff coming back up? <laughs> <laughs> that flavor? It's burning. Can I read you the press release? No. It's amazing. No, you can't. Arriving just in time for Super Bowl or Super Vol mm. for those, you know. Who are into the weasel sports. In a different space. Um L-V-I-I, what's that? Uh, uh, 657. 57. 
Hormel today launched a first-ever Hormel chili cheese brew in a partnership with the award-winning Modest Brewing Company. Inspired by the brand's signature chili cheese dip, the limited-edition American lager features features Minnesota Pilsner barley malt and flaked corn. Here's the part. Flaked corn? Brace yourself. I'm already braced. With its corn chip flavored base. Oh, God. Does it it's taste like tastes Fritos? like Fritos? Right? Okay. Modest Brewing Company tastes like athlete's foot. <laughs> Added a mix of savory spices and hints of cheddar cheese powder to bring the flavors cheddar of Hormel cheese chili powder. cheese dip to life. <laughs> Starting Tuesday, January 24th <sighs> at 8 a.m. Eastern. Oh, damn. I probably missed it then. Four packs are available to purchase. They're probably at all gone. HormelChiliCheeseBrew.com for $24 while supplies last. The price includes shipping and handling. Hormel Chili Cheese Brew will ship in time for fans to enjoy when watching the Super Bowl on February 12th, 2023. Stop it. Fans can whip up a batch of Hormel's chili cheese dip by combining Hormel uh-huh. chili no beans uh-huh. with a one-pound package of pasteurized cheese, uh-huh. horf, <laughs> cut into half-inch cubes, mix together the ingredients in a microwave-safe bowl, and microwave on high for four and a half to five minutes No, until hot and cheese is and melted. Juicy. Serve with corn chips if desired. No. <laughs> Why would they do that? I win the ridiculousness. Dude, that is more than ridiculous. That's just hate. Chili like, cheese wh- beer. Why are you going to do that to a Super Bowl party? Because. Could you imagine if you showed up at a Super Bowl party and they were serving this? They're like, yeah, hey. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know what happens at this. No, yeah, that's true. You don't. It's not that bad. It's not as bad as you think. <laughs> Well, if you got a second. I do. I uh, do. You're familiar with the leader of North Korea, right? Kim Jong-un? Sure. Okay, well, there was this one time when his daddy, the former dear leader, Kim Jong-il, he kidnapped the biggest star and the best director from South Korea. Then he brought them to North Korea, and he had them shoot a remake of Godzilla. Are you kidding me? Yes, he wanted a North Korean Godzilla who could crush the capitalist swine. Now, you you have to understand, this is such a wild story. Are you ready for this story of the making of a movie that feels like its story would make an even better movie <laughs> yes. than the movie that was made? I am ready. All right. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Elizabeth. Zarin. I would like to talk with you today about your lord and savior, Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Have you been saved? Uh, Are you a fan of Godzilla? No. No? Okay, well, I'm just going to lay some facts on you then, you okay? You so disappointed. I mean, disappointment is an understatement, but whatever, you know? <laughs> Let me just lay some facts on you so you can appreciate the cult of the thunder lizard. Mm-hmm. All right. So Godzilla is uh, an Americanization of a Japanese name, right? So in, J- in Japan, he's named as Gojira. Mm-hmm. And Gojira is a portmanteau in Japanese. It's two Japanese words braided together, and the words are gorira, for gorilla, and kujira, for whale. Mm-hmm. So Godzilla's name really means 
Gorilla Whale. That's awesome. I thought you'd like that. Yeah, it's starting to win me over. Right? I'm, I'm working on it. I've you, gone right? from not caring to like caring a little bit yeah, on the like, dial. I'm a little curious. Mm-hmm. What is that? I'm a little Godzilla curious. So you have to understand, Godzilla, have you, you've never seen a single movie. Oh, I have. Okay. <laughs> you didn't enjoy it? It didn't stay with you? I you just didn't care one way or the other. How can you say that? I, I just didn't care one way or the other. I'll you say said it, it twice. Yeah, so nice I said it twice. All right, well, whatever. So <laughs> Godzilla, my dog, not yours, uh-huh. born of the sea, your awakened. Gr- your gorilla whale. Exactly. My gorilla whale. What up, dog? Awakened by the nuclear age. He, in a sense, is the revenge of nature against civilization. Godzilla is the spirit of our times, Elizabeth. You know I love that. I thought you would. Yeah, you know I love animals and creatures attacking us and destroying us. (laughs) I'm not kidding. (laughs) Now, all around the world, Godzilla is loved by many people who aren't you. And (laughs) he is the monster you love to hate. He stars in movies. He's also, he has had TV shows, cartoon shows, comic books, mangas, graphic novels, literary novels, video games, music videos, and of course, knockoff porn videos. So Godzilla, I'm not sure if you know this, He's not young. He came to screens in 1954 in Japan. And then in two years later, he comes to America and he starts wrecking shop. And the Americanized version, heavily edited, and they threw in a Raymond Burr just to really make the American audiences connect. It was called Godzilla, King of the Monsters, exclamation point. Mm -hmm. Now, the American release, it becomes a big hit. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that pretty much created not just a genre but a whole thing you know it, oh, yeah, it is yeah. a world to itself and there's the mothra thing all too? The, yes okay, all yeah, the yeah. monsters exactly okay so in 1984 godzilla had been off of screens for a decade there have been no movies the, it, the 70s have been hard on godzilla yeah he got a little a cheesy in the 60s yeah. and by the 70s people were like what what is this mechazilla well, i don't even <laughs> care anymore right so the people, the good people of Toho Films, they decide in 1984, let's bring back Godzilla. They're like, yeah, yeah Godzilla. Let's do it. And they're like, not only that, let's erase all of those bad movies we've made. So they take the 14 films in between the first one and the new one they plan, and they go, none of those counted. And so they say, this will be the first sequel to the original oh, film. okay. The right? rest all just went to Mystery Science Theater. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Because Godzilla, the people from Toho, they realize, oh, we, we made a mistake. Mm-hmm. We stopped letting Godzilla be the monster. We made him the hero fighting other monsters. Oh. I want to go back to him being the one going after us. Yeah, bad like, guy. Exactly. So Godzilla comes back 80 meters tall, 50,000 tons of lizard. Monstrous, right? Biggin. Yes, big biggin. So he's this long daddy. The movie is called The Return of Godzilla. In America, it's called Godzilla 1985. Now, I'm not, have you seen this one? Raymond uh, Burr came back for the oh, sequel. Really? <laughs> yes, he did. Wow. I don't recall if I've seen it or not, but there's a lot I don't remember in my okay. life. It's, it, it's very likely you maybe have seen it. It probably. is uh, the Godzilla movie a lot of Americans have seen, even if they don't know it. Okay. Right? Yeah. Now, I know you're probably thinking, Zaren, what is it that we all love about Godzilla? Zaren, what is it that we all love about Godzilla? It's a great question, Elizabeth. Thank you. Uh, I'll tell you. Now, Koji Hashimoto, he's the director of The Return of Godzilla, he said, and I quote, The existence of Godzilla is itself a dilemma. Godzilla is a living conflict of evil and sadness. Hmm. Yes, he is the monster you feel sorry for. Yeah, well, 
No, I mean, maybe I do, okay? (laughs) Now, the writer of Godzilla remake, Tomoyuki Tanaka, he said, and I quote, Godzilla is the son of the atomic bomb. He is a nightmare created out of the darkness of the human soul. He is the sacred beast of the apocalypse. Oh, I like that. Right? Yeah. Now, when the Godzilla reboot dropped, there was one cinephile out there, not you, who saw Godzilla <laughs> reemerge from the dark and deep and was like, mm, I need me one of those Godzillas. Get me a Godzilla. <laughs> and that man's name was Kim Jong-il. Oh, The yeah. next and future dear leader of North Korea. Right. Now, at the time, he was the son of the founder of DPRK. He, he was always the son of the founder, but at the mm-hmm. time, <laughs> he was not yet the leader. He was still like, you know, junior dictator to be. Mm-hmm. Now, his father's running the show, so that means his son had a lot of time on his hands. So... What he liked to do was watch movies, especially bootleg Western movies. The dude loved movies. Like, I'm talking, he had 15,000 film library. Now, wow. remember, these are all illegal. So yeah, the, the, yeah. yeah the, no American products or Western products are supposed to be in the country. He's got 15,000 bootleg films. Movies for me, but not for thee. Exactly. <laughs> so the ones he loved, I'm not sure if, I'll just tell you. He loved action movies like Rambo. Okay. Loved the Rambo movies. He also loved James Bond films. Mm-hmm. He loved Friday the 13th, big Jason fan. Interesting. Yep. Also, he loved any film that starred Elizabeth Taylor. He went nuts for huh. her lavender eyes. Huh. Right? So now, since dude can have whatever job he wants, he becomes the head of the North Korean film industry, right? So he has... <laughs> the bustling North <laughs> Exactly. Well, he's got him cooking 60 films a year, which is not bad. I mean, like, Disney only puts out, like, 15 films a uh-huh. year now. So they were cooking, right? It was, like, Golden Age Hollywood era. Now, Can we see these anywhere? Are they sure, available? Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll list off some for you to go in here. Get your pen out. You ready? Okay, yeah. So... The films are all mostly blatant propaganda, right? The original right. ones, like, so the, the the ones, like, of his father's era, they're just all propaganda. I mean, generally, under communism, is kind of hard to make good films. I mean, yes, there's Tartakovsky, Eisenstein. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're good filmmakers. But generally, under communism, you get some pretty, you mm-hmm. know, questionable films, mm-hmm. right? Kim Jong-il, he knew this. So he studies Western film. He writes a book so that these communist movies can get better. His book is called On the Art of Cinema. It was his attempt to guide this film industry, right? So he gives them a manifesto about how to make a good movie. Lars von Trier, he was not, but he did. <laughs> Do they teach this at USC Film School? Yeah, it's like Dogma 95 and then also On the Art of Cinema and then it's some William Goldman books on yeah, screenwriting. That's exactly. it, right? Now, mostly, dude, is just railing on the Korean film scene in his book, right? And he's just like the angriest film hipster you've ever read. Now, his father, as I told you, created propaganda films. You asked about them. One of them was Sea of Blood. And that was uh, about Korea's fight against Japan in the 1930s, a real tragic mm-hmm. film. And I know, you, Elizabeth, you probably remember the hit song from that, that movie, My Heart Will Remain Faithful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, b- big that number. That is my go-to at karaoke. I, I knew that. That's yeah. what I thought. Okay, yeah. now, Kim Jong-il. Do you uh, know I've never done karaoke? Really? Yeah. I'm going to have to correct that. I know. I'll even embarrass myself to make sure you do it. <laughs> Now, Kim Jong-il, he, uh, he, he praised his father's era of films. He wrote in his book, quote, Films should contain musical masterpieces like these, the fusion of noble ideas and burning passion, right? He's like very much about the grand themes. Mm-hmm. But he's a different man than his father, so when he gets his hands on the North Korean film industry, he wants to create great art. So, and also that's communist propaganda. Yeah. Same thing, same goals, <laughs> right? But he, he knew this wouldn't be easy. So he decided, you know what I need to do? I need to kidnap the most talented director in South Korea so I can make great art. I will force him. So this poor unfortunate soul, his name was Shin Song-ok. Now, Shin Song-ok, he had a production company. Uh, and he named it after himself. It was called Shin Films. Mm-hmm. And he made a ton of films. And they were mostly beloved. Some were challenging. But he mostly made crowd pleasers. He was like kind of like a James Cameron, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Now, one of 
his big films is called The Eunuch. Now, can you guess what The Eunuch is about, Elizabeth? Uh... Yes, I'm having no testicles, yeah. but no, right. it's beyond that. It's it's about eunuchs and concubines. It's doubling up. Oh, so yeah. Th- there's two of them. They fall in love. A concubine meets a eunuch uh-huh. in the court. They decide, oh, we, it would be great if we could consummate our love affair. Oh, but you have no junk. And he's like, no, no, baby, don't worry. It still works. And she's like, really? And they're about to consummate their love affair. And then tragic events happen and they don't and people die. Um, Spoiler. Oh, sorry. I don't, totally. I didn't mean to <laughs> blow that for you. Anyway. You the, blew the eunuch for me. Shin's movies are mostly, they start. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> For you too. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Uh, okay, let me get back together. <laughs> okay, so the Shin's movies—they're mostly they're star women, and they're they're considered like provocative. In China, uh, at this time, there's Chinese movies, Japanese movies, and Korea, and then Korea's movies. And Korea's movies are often very conservative. Korea's culture at the time is conservative. Yeah. It's under a dictatorship, so he's challenging societal roles for women. He's very much an avant-garde artist, but still making popular films. And he's also really good, uh, like director, where he's his films are like a master class for young actors, right? Mm-hmm. So the guy's just killing it. And then 1978 rolls around. The Korean dictatorship's like, you know what, Shin, you need to close up shop. And there's nothing he can do about it, so boom, he's out of business. And he's like, oh, this sucks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is the moment Kim Jong-il was waiting for. He's like, ah, rubbing his hands together all sinister. Now the filmmaker may suddenly be amenable to this second chance to make great art. <laughs> so Kim Jong-il knows he's going to need the right enticements if he wants to get Shin to come over to North Korea and jump the DMZ. So he's like, what can I do? He's like, well, see, great art, that may not be enough. I, I know what I'm I've got it. I know what I need to do. And he's like, I'll kidnap his wife. Oh. So he's like, <laughs> That's how deal. the best business deals begin. <laughs> Always. It's a relationship of trust and need. So Choi Yoon-hee, that was his wife's name. She was the biggest, most respected actress in South Korea. And she's married to the hottest director. They were this ultra cool couple. They were like the Jay-Z and Beyonce of 70s Korea, mm-hmm. right? They'd met on a film set. And there's a documentary about this whole story. It's called The Lovers in the Despot. And I recommend it. Great coverage if you want to hear more about the yeah. story in the film. Choi Yoon-hee, she remembers meeting her future husband, and she's like, I was asked to star in this film. Then we met and had black bean noodles. Shin wasn't only handsome, he was also stylish. Everyone thought he was cool, and he was a brilliant filmmaker. He said that we should make films together forever, and that's how it all began. Now, storybook romance, that's right? awesome, right? But be careful what you wish for because there may be some North Korean dictator listening and suddenly you're making yeah. movies together forever in North <laughs> Korea, which is pretty much what happened. Okay, Elizabeth, we'll, we'll take a little break here and we'll get back to the North Korean Godzilla and I'm going to blow your mind. Yes. rant for a sec please pay apps are way too public what happened some rando hearted a payment from five months ago and i realized people can see my entire history who i'm paying like full names it's super weird yeah it's weird how are you paying your friends then apple cash it's all in messages you can literally send cash like a text and it stays between friends random people can't see it did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. 
For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. All right, Elizabeth. Zarin. I like saying it in an accusatory way today. <laughs> Zarin. <laughs> yes, Elizabeth. <laughs> I was telling you about the super couple, the director, my man Shin, and his wife, the star Yoon Hee. Mm-hmm. Now, they she, sound super groovy. Right? They were. Yeah. You should, we'll, I'll show you pictures of them. You can put them up and you'll be like, oh, man, look at these two. That's how I'm going to sound? Yeah, just like that. Okay, you'll, be, cool. you'll be like when you're looking at pictures of Elliot <laughs> like, Gould. Are you going to hit me in the head first? <laughs> <laughs> I got a head wound now and I'm looking at the pictures? <laughs> Amazing. So Shin, he's this dude is a willful soul, right? Uh, you and he, she called him the wild horse, which mm. I think means like we would call him the Mustang. Yeah. <laughs> My man Real Shin. Real cowboy. The Mustang, yeah, total cowboy. Total man's man in terms of like going his own way, right? The super couple, they're a match set though because you and he, she's just as willful as Shin, right? Maybe even more so in some ways because, well, I'll get into that later, but she goes on to secretly record Kim Jong-il by hiding a recorder in her purse. Getting caught would cost her possibly her head. And she's well, yeah. like, oh, I'm and about like this. seven generations of her family yeah, or something, exactly, right? Exactly. Yeah. The circles would emanate with blood. Yeah. Now, you have to understand, well, thanks to this Yoon Hee, Elizabeth, do you know that I have now heard Kim Jong-il's voice? You have? Yes. I. She recorded him, and before she recorded him, no Westerner had heard Kim Jong-il's voice. Huh. Now I am in rare air. Okay. Yeah. And if you watch the documentary, you too can be in that <laughs> same rare air. But for you, Elizabeth, I thought I'd just read a couple of Kim Jong-il's choice quotes from the secret tape that you and he recorded, yeah. just so you can get a sense of the man. So all it's right? going to sound like him. Well, this is going to be Kim Jong-il. You yeah. ready? Okay, I'm excited. Why do all of our films have the same ideological plots? There's nothing new about them. I mean, like, why are there so many crying scenes? All of our films have crying scenes. This isn't a funeral, is it? Okay, Elizabeth, no, no, wait a minute. You have to understand. The reason I gave the dear leader a comical Chicago accent yes. is because I don't want to tread on any racist ground here by mistake, right? So uh, my imitation is going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to stay away from any car- caricatures or stereotypes, and I'm going to go with this pure Chicago. I like it. Okay. I like it. Now, if you got a second, I got yes. another one for you. Now, he, he said on tape, and I quote, 
We don't have any films that can get into film festivals. But I mean, like, in South Korea, they have better technology. They are like uh, college students. We are just in nursery school. People here are so close-minded. Now, oh, I wonder why. Yes, the irony could choke Godzilla. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, come on, man. You're the reason they're so right? close-minded. Well, you and your daddy. But I got one more for you. You ready? Yes. This is uh, Kim Jong-il talking about Korea, South Korea's films versus North Korea's films. All right. Mm-hmm. I've looked at South Korea's films. I've asked my advisor, who's the best director in the South? He said that his name is Shin. Ah, I said, how can we persuade him to come here? How could I lure this director Shin? So now that's the plot. He's like, I got to get this man into North Korea. So I already told you the answer to this is he's going to kidnap you and he. That's mm-hmm. his plan. That's how he's going to get him over and force Shin to come and make great art in right. the Godzilla movies. Now, his plan, perfect plan, grab the wife. Here's how it plays out. You ready? You and he, she's an actress. So, you know, she has to go and talk to producers. She Mm got to go and do business of films. She got to have lunches, all that kind. Right now, she gets flown over to Hong Kong to meet with this producer about a potential role in an upcoming Hong Kong movie. And Hong Kong has a great film community. So she's like stoked. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go work with, you know, Jackie Chan's production company or whatever. Right? She's stoked. She gets met at the airport by an executive she knows from the Hong Kong branch of her ex-husband Shin's film company. Because at this point, they are divorced. Right? Mm -hmm. So she's like, oh, he's from shins films so with this dude is this woman she doesn't know the woman she doesn't know she's told as a shopping guide for her while she's in hong kong she's like oh right. how thoughtful that's dope now i'll let you and he tell the story all right okay. ready she says there was no reason to be suspicious she came to the hotel with her daughter and we wandered around she suggested we visit a summer house by the seaside it was owned by the guy who wanted to start a business relationship i was playing with her daughter and waiting for the people to show up and then she called out come here quickly there was a speedboat with three or four strong men all of a sudden a guy grabbed me by the arms before i knew it i was on board so that's how she gets grabbed right i love that there was a speedboat yes yes just like that (laughs) what year is this it's the mid 80s so, yeah, it's Miami Vice era. Okay, so it makes sense that, of course, there's a speedboat. You got to have a speedboat. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, I'm Crockett and Tubbs my way over there. <laughs> now, Yoon Hee, she uh, gets further into the story and she says, When I woke up, I was in the captain's cabin on a big cargo ship. I thought, they are going to kill me. There was a doctor. He had a lot of equipment, and he gave me injections. This went on for about eight days, me waking and then collapsing with no food. Now, when she arrives in North Korea, mm-hmm. she's like, oh, you know, just completely out of sorts. This sounds terrifying. Totally, right? Now, when she gets there, though, there's this entourage of people out there to meet her at the wharf. And then she hears a deep voice call out to her, hey, thanks for coming. <laughs> I'm, it's me, Kim Jong-il. All right, so he comes over to her, and Kim Jong-il, he acts just like he'd arrived on a movie set, and she's there, and he's the director, and he's like, hey, well, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun on this account. And she's like, what are you, you're just terrified, right? So she's been, like, repeatedly drugged, uh-huh. hasn't eaten. Uh-huh. Like, she didn't know where she was uh-huh. going, so no she would idea. just, like, come to. Doesn't know if she's going to be killed any yeah. day. and then she's got this clown and coming then out. That, and then the first thing that she sees that makes sense is oh, Kim Jong-il coming at her. Yeah, I'd be like, am I having a hallucination? Like she this? says that she didn't know if she was a gift for him or her his father. Oh, I mean, just God. imagine that. Oh, dear. Right? Yeah. Meanwhile, her ex-husband, Shin, he discovers you and he is missing from Hong Kong. And he goes wild with worry. He's like, oh, he immediately fears the worst. He He's faced with all the ideas of, like, what could go wrong. And he immediately thinks North Korea. It's got to be North Korea. <laughs> And he's fearing, by the way, for both his wife and himself. Because if they grabbed his wife, he's like, oh, I could be next, right? So he travels to Hong Kong to go find his missing wife. 
And while he's there, he asks the police. He's like, hey, I'm going to need protection because my wife got grabbed. They're like, oh, of course, of course. He's like, I don't want to get snatched off the street like my wife. They're like, of course, whoa, we got you. And like, this is under British protectorate at the mm-hmm. time. So yeah. there's British investigators trying to figure this all out. And they're like, we are going to take care of the foreign nationals. And so it's like a whole like thing, right? Now, Shin has little to go on to find his wife, all right? And he's like, ah. and he's got little help other than the British authorities. But he does have one colleague in the city, an old friend and a former business partner. And this man offers him help to go find you and he. And he's like, oh, cool. But then, come to find out, <laughs> his old friend and business partner was a North Korean spy. No. Yes. Shin never sees oh, his abduction no. coming. Oh, no. So here's how Shin tells the story. There was a secret agent in Hong Kong. He was my colleague, so there was no reason to be suspicious. And he took me to Repulse Bay on Hong Kong Island. The car stopped and three or four people got in. Okay, wait. I have to pause the story for a second. I, I like how both their stories, it's always three or four people. Yeah. Like, they're just, just like, hey. You grab know, bag. For both of them, they're just like, you know, estimates are good for supremely low numbers. Yeah, it's exactly. like, like, it was three it's or like four. It's like one or two people. I stopped counting after three. It's I like don't know. One what, or one person. What does it matter? Are we, are, are, we, are we setting a table here? Why do I have to know how many people are in the car? But, you know, he's like, look, you know how many people it was? Enough. 50, Enough people. 50 feral hogs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 30 to 50. So every time they, they goes, he's like, three or four people. Anyway. He also reminds me of the David Sedaris story of, like, the six to eight black men. Yeah. (laughs) Krampus. Yeah, you know the story? Yes. So he's like, just for anyone who doesn't, David Sedaris is driving around Europe, and he's talking to people trying to get to know the areas. And his big thing to do is always ask them, what's the local Christmas traditions? And in the Netherlands, he gets there, and they start telling him that St. Nick shows up. And every time he shows up, it's always uh, six to eight black men. And he he keeps asking people, and he can never get an exact number. At one point, I, I have a quote here from him. He says, I asked several Dutch people to narrow it down, but none of them could give me an exact number. It was always six to eight, which seems strange, seeing as they've had (laughs) hundreds of years to get a decent count. So anyway, that's what I kept picturing when I'm reading three to four people get in the car. Three to four people were in the boat. Okay, so back to our abduction. Okay, so the director is in the car with his former colleague when three or four people get in. They were wearing long wigs, he says. They put a bag over my head. And I gotta stop again, because I'm sorry, but they're wearing wigs. They put a bag over his head. Those seem incongruous to me. It's like, make up your minds. Do you want to be disguised or are you going to like just put a bag over someone's They're head? They're wearing a bag. They put a wig on him. <laughs> yeah, it just makes it's just no chaos. Sense. Exactly. I'm like, okay, like you're driving around Hong Kong with a man with a bag on his head. What are the wigs for? Like, well, we're, they probably, we're the Beatles. Well, it's okay. I mean, I could see they probably like put the bag on his head and then shove him down into the footwell and then they're wearing wigs and they'll be like, I don't know, these like three to four guys with really beautiful long tresses flowing in the open air windows. They're Couldn't just, be us. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't look like me. You're probably right. It probably I know is, I'm right. Probably exactly that. <laughs> so at this point, uh, I'll pick back up the abduction. Yes. So you. he says, they were wearing long wigs. They put a bag over my head and made me inhale chloroform. So, boom, he's out. Now he's captured, too. Aye. Boom, just like that, the North Korean film industry just got a whole lot more talent. So, <laughs> meanwhile, back in South Korea, people start to assume terrible things. Yeah. And I don't mean terrible things like, oh, they're dead. I mean, like, terrible things like, I don't know about this abduction. First, the wife gets abducted, and now Shin gets abducted. <gasps> I think they defected. I think they just 
faked their kidnappings. So people oh start not looking for them or caring, sorry, oh no. or caring that they're gone. Yes. Oh no. Meanwhile, smash cut to Shin in a North Korean prison camp because <laughs> that's where he was taken by his abductors. Yeah. <laughs> so he's seriously sitting in a North Korean prison camp. His wife, Yoon Hee, she's being treated well. She's in Kim Jong's palaces. She's cared for, pampered, being taken to shows, eating well. Mm-hmm. Shin is also in North Korea, but she doesn't know that, right? So she's just like having her little life totally unaware. Now, being my kind of guy, Shin was thinking the whole time he's in the prison camp, WWSMD. You know what that stands for? What would... Steve McQueen do. <laughs> That's a good thing all the time. Right? Was, well, I mean, not all the time not because the we time. know he wasn't always gambling. Yeah, no, there are, there are some exceptions <laughs> to this wife. rule. Yeah, exactly. So Shin channels Steve McQueen in The Great Escape, and he gets all inspired. He decides he's going to bust out of this North Korean prison camp. So he starts to write and direct his own escape movie starring him. Oh, my God. That's so perfect. <laughs> yeah, so, and genius. I got a quote for you from Shin. You ready? He says... When put in extreme situations, people imitate what they see in movies. If I was going to make a movie about this situation, how would I film it? I thought, I'm going to get out, even if I have to dig a tunnel under the floor. Then I try scraping at the floorboards. Anyway, whatever it takes, I have to get out of here. So that's his plan, right? That's so, like, I mean, we have a lot of uh, cinematic. Well, this is not really a his His part isn't a crime, but no. it's like, what's his name with Heat? Oh, yeah, Redon Fayed? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, completely. Exactly. And so it's my man, Shin. He pulls it off. He escapes the prison camp. He's able to run off, and when he gets outside the fence, he finds a bike. Oh, I loved this part. He finds a bike. God he bless steals it. a bike. And then he's like, you know what? <laughs> Each according to their needs, comrade. And he takes <laughs> off, and he's gone, right? On his stolen bike, he's pedaling away. And like Fiona Apple, he's going as fast as he can, right? Now... <laughs> Shin sees a train, and maybe he can catch this train, get over the border to China. He's like, oh, i am got to catch that train. So he ditches the stolen bike, runs over to the freight train, tries to ho- like uh, hobo his way onto the train, makes it. But it turns out that train just goes in one big circle. It just, just goes in a <laughs> loop. It doesn't go anywhere. It's such a North Korean train. Oh it's like, oh, I, don't, I just go in a circle. What? Like, <laughs> I'm just supposed to run. Yeah. <laughs> so Shin is defeated. He is, but he's so tired and worn out, he cannot muster another like escape attempt so he just goes to sleep on top of the train car somebody sees his foot dangling on the side they call the police as it the keeps police, going by over yeah, and looping over. around they're like so the police call come they arrest him they take him back to the prison camp and he's like i was so close oh, no. so he got he gets up but then he's taken to prison number six mm. now prison number six is the hardcore prison reform camp where political prisoners are sent for a re-education North Korean-style re-education. Yeah, they're never seen again. Yeah, exactly. So, as Shin put it, anyway, it's a horrible place. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I just love that. He's like, what else? It's from his memoir. He's telling a story, and he goes, anyway, it's a horrible place. <laughs> so, to survive, he has to subsist on rice, handfuls of grass, and salt. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's his nutrient count. He said, uh, I quote, I experienced the limits of human beings. I so, so. Yeah, he learns the one all-important lesson of, from his time in North Korea's re-education prison. He learns the idea that if he wants to ever escape the country, he's going to need an actual plan. He can't just run yeah. out, ah, yeah. I'm going to catch a train or steal a bike. And, no, all he, hair on fire. <laughs> yeah, so this first step of his new path is he writes a letter to the dear leader, Kim Jong-il. He's like, hey, dear leader. And he promises him. I will make you glorious films. I will make you great, beautiful films. Movies that will exalt North Korea on the world stage. This is everything Kim Jong-il has been waiting to hear. Oh, sure. So Kim Jong-il is like, 
as my girl Renee Zellweger will one day come to say, you had me at hello. (laughs) (laughs) So once Shin wins over Kim Jong-il, he asks the baby dictator, hey, what about my kidnapped wife? Is she still alive? Now, at this point, Shin has been in North Korea for five years. Five years and he hasn't seen her yet. Hasn't seen her. She doesn't know that he's been there for five years. Oh my and they God. have ch- two adopted children. They, they've they been told by everybody that they've defected, so their children don't even, they think they've been abandoned by their parents. Oh, man. So he's just like going through it, right? Right. So February 1983, Kim Jong-il's birthday. You know Johnny Big Hair Don't Care is going to show out for his birthday. Oh, so yeah. he does. And you and he tells a story. She's like, uh, one day, out of the blue, there was a car waiting to take me to Kim Jong-il's house. Now, you have to understand, she knows that when a car is sent for her, it just means something big is going to happen. Right. It could mean, oh, you're going to get murdered today. Or right. it could mean like, oh, I want to show you this this ballerina from Swan Lake I abducted. You, <laughs> yeah, you never exactly. know, right? So when she arrives, Kim Jong-il's in a good mood. He's like, you know, like Rick James in a room full of cocaine. He's like <laughs> he's like if Drake could go to a Drake concert. He's just like, and be in the front row. He's just beaming, right? So Kim Jong-il sees her and he's like, hey, Miss Joy, it's my birthday party. It's a family affair, right? And she's oh, like, God. oh, God, right? So one of the party guests guides her attention. He's like... Look over there. Yoon Hee, she turns and she sees her husband Shin standing in the room. And she's like, what the hell? They've made dozens of films together, raised two children. They have this storybook love affair. They are the Ben Affleck. He's the Ben Affleck to her J-Lo, you know. Yeah, but weren't they divorced? They broke up. Okay. And then now fate has brought them back together, uh-huh. Elizabeth. So it is like a exactly. Ben Affleck and J-Lo. Just in this case, you know, fate is, you know, Kim Jong-il. Just but, with a little less Dunkin' Donuts involved. Exactly. Yes. Less cold coffee and less Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> now, when you when he sees Shin, she says, I froze on the spot. Was I dreaming? This can't be real. I kept staring at him. All I could say is, what happened to you? Shin was quiet. He just looked at me and smiled. Even then, I was thinking, if this was a film, there'd be a lot of tears. <laughs> so she's like filming herself. Yeah, they're living this out. And instead of being like, oh, my God. And embracing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, How are we going to get out of here? So Kim Jong-il is like, hey, I think everybody forgot whose birthday party it is. So he's like, <laughs> comrades, let me introduce you. This is Director Shin, our new film advisor. This is Miss Joy, mother of Korea. So he's like telling them, like, these are my new people, right? He orders a reunited couple to embrace. Because the thing you were worried about, he's, hey, hug up. All right? right. So they like do. And then he tells them, like, you're, get, you're getting remarried. This is great. And they're like, oh, and eventually the couple is remarried in, while they're in North oh. Korea. <laughs> so at his birthday party, uh, Kim Jong-il t- explains to Shin about, oh, by the way, about tossing him in prison, that whole rigmarole. He's like, no, oh, sorry, it was a misunderstanding. He blames his people. Like, <laughs> it was oh, like yeah. a paperwork Exactly. Error. He just got lost in the translations oh. of paperwork. Sorry. So, you know, he's like, hey, you try running a, a country without a reliable power grid, you know? <laughs> So Shin said about this time, he's like, I hated communism, but I had to pretend to be devoted to it, to escape from this barren republic. It was lunacy. Now, speaking of lunacy, yeah. I have promised you a North Korean Godzilla. And yes, yes. Oh, you're ready for it? I am. Because we're going to be getting into it now. All right. So now we have our free director and all the film ideas, the scripts, the casting, whatever, all that stuff has to run through Kim Jong-il. Oh, God. Now, can you imagine being in the writer's room with Kim Jong-il? Oh, that'd be amazing. (laughs) Terrifying and amazing. It's 10 a.m. He's already had two of your co-writers sent to the gulag because they weren't (laughs) laughing at his jokes. That's just a funny bit. Why aren't you laughing? He's he's had like a a delivery person executed for bringing him cold black bean noodles. (laughs) That's like doing this show with you. Exactly. (laughs) 
So once Shin is out of prison and Kim Jong-il, he's like, hey, I'm going to give you free reign. And they're allowed, the couple's right to go all around the country and look for locations for all the movies he wants them to make. And they do. It's a small taste of freedom. They're stoked. They're even allowed to travel internationally. One of the trips, the couple goes to Berlin for location shoots. But this time it's East Berlin. Oh, yeah, it's still part say, of the Eastern like, Bloc, right? Right, right, right. So they're in a communist country still, right? Mm-hmm. But they're outside North Korea. And so while they're in East Berlin, Shin and Yoon Hee are walking around. They see the U.S. embassy. And Yoon Hee gives Shin's arm a squeeze. She's like, let's run for it. Try to make it to the embassy. And Shin's like against it. He tells his wife. What's the matter with you? I will not make an attempt unless it is 100% certain. If they caught us, we'd be dead. Yeah, that's a good point. Right? And plus, Shin's about his make his North Korean masterpiece, Polgasari. That's the name of North Korean Godzilla. Polgasari? Polgasari. <laughs> so he wants to get into his masterpiece. He's like, I ain't going anywhere. Now, after this little break, yes. I will tell you all about <laughs> Polgasari. Nice. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. All right, Elizabeth. Zarin. While our couple, Shin and Yoon Hee, were being detained in North Korea, they were able to shoot 17 feature films. And they did this in a span of two years, three months. Wow. Yeah, they were cranking them out. They said they were like barely sleeping two, three hours a night. Yeah. Anyway, there was one unexpected side effect they hadn't counted on, which is the couple became a walking, talking propaganda film because... Their lives became content, and Kim Jong-il was able to use it. He took photos of them. He put them on North Korean papers. Those go over to South Korea's borders. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it looks like they're having this great time in North Korea, which plays into the story that they voluntarily defected. So, And they don't know this because they don't know that these stories— Anyway, so it's a whole problem. Anyway, this is far from the truth because Yoon Hee and Shin— they, even though, yes, they were like the commie Ben Affleck and J-Lo, the people's Jay-Z and Beyonce, mm-hmm. they were still in their minds South Korean artists, right? So they're like, how do we get out of here? And Shin's like, Polgasari! So he <laughs> gives 
Kim Jong-il what he wants, his Godzilla monster movie. Now, to make this North Korean Godzilla truly epic, Shin decides they're going to need to hire the original team from Japan that made the original Godzilla back in 1954. So Shin tells Kim Jong-il his plan, and the dictator-to-be is like, that's so crazy, I freaking love it, we gotta do this! <laughs> so this time, Kim Jong-il, he doesn't have the film crew kidnapped like them. Instead, he has this Japanese VFX crew invited to go to China to shoot a film. They get on a plane, and when the plane lands, they're in North Korea. Surprise! Welcome to Pyongyang. The old switcheroo. Yeah, so, boom. Now, one of the abducted members of this Japanese VFX crew, it's VFX, Elizabeth. That's right. Is (laughs) Kenpachiro Satsuma. Now, if you don't know the name, Kenpachiro Satsuma, he's the man who was Godzilla. He's the one inside the rubber monster suit. Oh, really? Yeah, well, technically, he was the second man to ever wear the Godzilla suit because it was a long stretch between 54 and 84. And he's he's 50 meters tall. He's a big boy. He's a long guy. I love that I've... I've introduced Long Daddy into your <laughs> into my your lexicon. Lexicon. <laughs> my lexicon of strange phrases. <laughs> Tall boys and Long Daddy. Exactly. Well, Tall Boys is still reserved well, for yeah, beers, but yeah. uh, Long Daddy is cemented. <laughs> so when uh, Satsuma gets to North Korea, he gets to be the first to wear the new Polgasari suit. So he's got his own record. Oh my God. So you know, Polgasari is a lot like Godzilla. I want you to be able to picture him. He is a giant lizard beast monster, he mm-hmm. destroys everything. But he wasn't born from nuclear energy from the West. You know, that would be too much of a flex for the West. So Polgasari, he was made by an elderly farmer. And uh, (laughs) he was created and shaped out of rice. Uh-huh. And Polgasari came to life when a drop of the farmer's daughter's blood landed on the, his rice mold Ooh. body. <laughs> I don't want to know how that happened. Yeah. So Kim Jong-il, he, th- he wants his film to be a powerful attack on Western values and a love song to the people struggle against greed, private wealth, and oppression. Did Polgasari have to wear like that like drab gray <laughs> North Korean utilitarian <laughs> sheet clothes? Did That's you? the other question I have. Just yes. so, I'm sorry to sidetrack Please. you, but I keep wondering, in my mind when you describe the couple like mm-hmm. they're super fashionable and yes. like wearing all these designer duds but did they have to pick from like the, the no. approved haircuts no, you know about in the communism under like most of these times the party leaders oh, have yeah, no. all the best western stuff so right but if they're gonna be, no yeah. they don't they are not supposed to be emblems of the revolution the revolution has been fought and from won. like a handful of haircuts if you're like a person and like on the regular yeah. like yeah they yeah. don't touch streets so they did can they do whatever her, they want did they cut her hair to look like no no kim jong il no, <laughs> no. You know, he had, like, the helmet hair. He's got that, like, yeah. the, the, and he was short, he wanted more hair. The, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's got the pompadour. Yeah, sorry, sorry yeah. to No, it's fine. No, so, yeah, though they had the best of everything. They were eating, like, you know, wild boar for dinner, running their fingers over pearl necklaces, <laughs> like, running their fingers <laughs> through like their fur. Hobby. Just like, oh, yes, I sit here, I run my fingers over pearls, and I eat deep boar. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, they're living large. Right. So, in the film Pogasari, the monster, uh, there's this wicked king because it takes place in the past and the wicked king is starving the people. So the monster attacks the king, mm. right? Godzilla goes after him. Sorry, goes after the king. Now, this plot line gets intercut with folk dances of the people because it's a communist movie, Elizabeth. Right. And that's what they do in communist movies. In case you folk didn't dancing. notice. Yeah, it's, it's part of the whole deal. It's like their version of a car chase. Instead of like <laughs> cut to the chase, it's cut to the harvest dancers. <laughs> 
So, you know, anyway, <laughs> eventually our monster, Polgasari, he squares off with the king. King fires a missile at him. Polgasari eats the missile. The, he kills the king, right? He's like, ah, and he eats him, right? And the king's like, oh. Then, surprising everyone, Polgasari starts attacking the people. They're like, no, oh, we didn't see this coming, Polgasari. And Polgasari, because he doesn't know any better, he's just a, you know, a rice mold monster who sure. wants to eat iron. I forgot to tell you that. He eats iron. So he's got an iron deficiency. He's hungry for delicious, delicious <laughs> iron. So he's always like, like eating like you know gates or sections of fence right. or like munching on pa- like a uh, farmer's tools nibbling on a shovel just it whatever happens. he can get right yeah. so the farmer's daughter she goes and she pleads with Polgasari she's like leave the people alone Polgasari and Polgasari is like oh and then in the, <laughs> you know I don't know why he explodes right he's, he's just like her pleas are so strong he explodes and why would he explode for the people Elizabeth because yes. it's communism yes and he's communist Godzilla so he gives his body forth like Jesus and he's like ah oh, eat of my Polgasari. <laughs> this sounds beautiful. Anyway, at the end of the movie, a baby Polgasari is seen walking out of the <gasps> sea. Because you always got to think of the sequel. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Plant those seeds. Now, surprisingly, this movie, when it gets dropped in North Korean theaters, it's a huge hit. People love it. Kim Jong-il is stoked. He's like, it's a masterpiece. It's a work of pure cinema. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Now, in North Korea, he's the really only critic that matters. So yeah. this is like if Roger Ebert and Siskel and like every other film critic you can name. Gene Shalit. Gene Shalit. There you go. <laughs> they all loved it, right? Just all one big person. Uh-huh. Now, next up. <laughs> like a Voltron. Yeah, but a film critics. <laughs> I am getting, I am hitting you with some 80s references Oh, you're keeping right it on team. On I team. I like that. I Thank you. Next up, the North Korean film industry, they decided to take on the bloody legacy of Genghis Khan. Mm. But not the historic Genghis Khan you're thinking of. Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. No, no. They want to do the one inspired by John Wayne's version, The Conqueror. <gasps> Stop. That's the movie where John Wayne plays Genghis Khan. And everyone got cancer, yeah, right? And, and, yeah, yeah. And, and if you're wondering, well, Zaren, did he do that in Yellow Face? You damn right yes, he, he did, did it we in Yellow Face. We talked about this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. So, oh, the oh, movie, Racist is All Hell, was something that Kim Jong-il Loved. He's like, I want to reboot it. We got to reboot it. So they decide to reboot the conqueror. So Shin tells the, the dictator, I know the perfect person for this. If we're doing a historical epic, we got to get him on board. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, who, who you got in mind? And he's like, oh, I'm going to go talk to him. He's an Austrian uh, producer. He, I'll get a pr- co-production deal going. He starts working on the co-production deal. The producer friend agrees to a co-production deal with North Korea, which is pretty rare in Europe yeah. at the time. Things are looking up for the North Korean film uh, industry. Mm-hmm. Like maybe Polgasari's finally given us a little bit of respect. <laughs> but turns out that the uh, whole Austrian co-production deal, that's what we in the smoke-blowing industry it's like <laughs> we call a lie. So it was just a cover for Shin and Yoon-hee to finally escape. Smart. Yes, right? Because Shin wrote in his memoir, to be in Korea, living a good life ourselves and enjoying movies while everyone else was not free was not happiness, but agony. Sure. So he's like, I got to get out of this. So he tied, he's going to end the agony. I'm flying to Vienna. So, and he hoped his bravery would catch up to him when he got there. So <laughs> the date is March 13th, 1986. The ultra cool couple arrives in Vienna. They check into a hotel. They're with their North Korean minders, the agents, intelligence agents. Shin and Yoon Hee, they're chilling in their hotel room. Across the hall are other North Korean intelligence handlers. They're smoking with the door open, playing cards, you know, playing poker or whatever. Shin and Yoon Hee, they look at each other, they decide, 
this is our moment. Yeah. So they start packing their bags. They pack like one piece of luggage each and they'd make a break for it. They rush out of their room. They sneak down the hallway. Each of them are told to carrying a small piece of luggage or trying to be super quiet. If they get caught, they'll lose everything. Everything. Their yeah. freedom, their, possibly their lives. He'll be sent back to a re-education camp, maybe worse. So they're like, we cannot blow this. And remember, Shin said it has to be a guarantee. He's going for it. His bravery is caught up to him. They make it. They run for it. Down the hallway. They make it to the elevator. Down to the lobby in the elevator. They make it across the hotel lobby. Outside, they flag down a taxi cab. They make it inside of the cab. They shut the door. Elizabeth, at this point, I'd like you to close your eyes. (gasps) Yes, my eyes are closed. And picture it. You've been driving a cab in Austria for about two weeks now. You love to be able to get people where they want to go. You love to see the city. Vienna is a terribly beautiful city to walk through or to drive through. You've really taken to your new job as a Viennese cabbie. You just love it. But there's one problem. You don't know your way around the city, like, at all. Like, just (laughs) at all. Not yet. You got maps. You got a lot of maps. But whatever. So you're always telling your passengers to be patient with you. You're like, hey, I'm new in town. And sometimes they laugh. Sometimes they do not laugh. (laughs) So the door to your cab slams shut, and you spot the two fresh passengers who just climbed to the back seat. It's a middle-aged Korean couple, both well-dressed. They look like movie stars. You turn on the meter, and you ask in French, then in Austrian-German, and finally in English, where are you headed? You're surprised when you hear the answer. The woman, you and he, she shouts at you, just drive. You're like, oh, okay. Well, you think, okay. You put your Mercedes sedan taxi into drive and you ease away from the curb. You gently pull away from the hotel's front door. And the man in the back says, can you you drive faster? You're like, sure, buddy. Once we're on the street, if you haven't noticed, we're kind of in a driveway, okay? But you sit tight, buttercup. Don't you worry. These ponies like to run. So at this point, you check both your side mirrors, your rear view mirror, for some reason, then your side view mirrors again, just to Mm -hmm. be certain. Once you're satisfied it's safe, you ease your Mercedes sedan taxi cab out into traffic. Can you please drive faster now? The woman in the back asks you, and you're like, yeah, yeah. He's like, please, drive faster. I'm like, you guys are so cute. You haven't even told me where we're going, but you're like, hey, can we speed to get there? So, like, maybe you want to tell me where we're going? And you pull up to a red light, and then you stop, and you hum to yourself, and you're looking in the rear view, waiting for them to tell you where you're going. And you're like, well, do you guys have a radio station you want to hear? Do you anything you like? They don't answer. You, you notice that they have spun around. They're looking behind you in traffic to see if anyone's following your car. You're like, I said, uh, favorite radio stations. You guys like, you like the tunes? You like rock music? What do you want to hear? You ask again, no answer again. You're like, these people are kind of rude. Anyway, the light changes, so you get back to driving, and you're eavesdropping on your passengers while they're just focused on the traffic behind you. And you hear the woman say, there, the cab. It's suspicious, right? You see it. And the guy's like, which one? She's like, the, the black and white cab. There, it's them. They're following us. They both spin back around. Now you see that they're holding hands and trembling like autumn leaves in a stiff breeze. You're like, oh my goodness. You ask them again, hey, you guys know where you decide where we're going? Right. And the woman says, the U.S. Embassy, take us to the U.S. Embassy. You tell her with a smile on your voice, oh, I'm only too happy to help. The U.S. Embassy, great idea. Oh, that's a great choice. Uh, one thing, do you know where it is? They're like, <laughs> are you kidding with us? Is she kidding? What? What is? What? And the guy's like, go left. And you're like, okay, I don't know if that's it, but the light's about to change. So you're like, huh. But you remember, you're being followed. They probably want you to make the light. So you hit the gas and you roar through the intersection and you make it. You hug a tight right turn and you make it. And the taxi guy behind you gets stuck behind a bread truck. So they're stoked. And you're like, see, don't you guys worry. So American embassy, huh? Pretty sure I can find this embassy. And you're just bouncing along in your cab. You're like, but hey, please be patient with me. I'm new here. I'm new in town. Doesn't get a laugh. Again, doesn't get a laugh. You're like, whatever. Shin and Yoon-hee, they're just holding hands, shaking in the back seat. And you're like, 
I'm, I don't, I'm not that scary of a driver. I don't know why they're just so tight, but whatever. They keep checking behind them. You're like, now U.S. Embassy. Oh, that's right. All the nice hotels are by that big park. I'll go over there. So you're just driving over towards this one big park you know about where you think there's nice hotels. You keep your eyes on the road because getting in an accident, that sure wouldn't help Elizabeth. No, not and at all. always safety first. The Elizabeth Dutton guarantee. That is very true. So you turn and you gently speed down a side road, mm-hmm. which parallels the main major boulevard and you're headed to where you remember seeing a bunch of the big houses and hotels and flags. You're like, I bet that's Embassy Row. So you're driving over there and you drive towards this green expanse of, oh, Stodd Park. You see this sign. You're like, oh, I know this is right. You drive past the fancy hotels. You're like, I think this is it. You're getting all excited. They're still super nervous. You're like, okay, make a high speed right turn and you imagine to sneak through a yellow light. You make it. Finally, your taxi cab slides to a stop. 50 yards from the U.S. Embassy. You turn to your passengers and tell them, U.S. Embassy is the one with the American flags, I think. And then they're like, I am the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Just right over there. Hey, by the way, this ride's on me. Looks like you kids could use some luck, huh? <laughs> so they're like, yeah, thanks. All right. And they hop out of the car. You and he smiles. She's like, you drive better than Robert Mitchum. And you're like, oh, <laughs> Thanks. The man just waves and nods. And they both run after this. As soon as they close the doors, they're running, right? Just fast as their feet hit pavement, and they're like cartoon running, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, man. It's like they're running as fast as Fiona Apple moves. I just took kids. Again? Kick Again. I'm, I'm driving it home, baby. Again. So they're running as fast as they can. And <laughs> toward the front gate of the U.S. Embassy, 40 yards left to go, 30 yards left to go, 20 yards left to go, 10 yards left to go. The goal line, they're at the goal line. Touchdown! They make it. They make it across the line, Elizabeth. And you watch them go and you say to yourself, I remember when I first ran to the U.S. Embassy. (laughs) And then you drive away. There I go. Now, being who they are, you and he and Shin, they both compared their daring escape, as you've noticed, to what they know best. You and he said, even though I ran fast like this and she does it minds it it felt like slow motion in a movie slow motion was all i could think about i love that she's like in a godard new way of french film like making her escape but but you know this is all by the way a huge embarrassment to kim jong-il yeah huge embarrassment so what does he do what is what does the little dictator do only thing he can do. He kills Polgasari. He takes the film out of the theaters, destroys the movie, he takes all of their films out of any theater, doesn't allow their films to ever to be shown again in North Korea, and this is his hope to erase their memory, right? Huh. But they're free. Yeah. In 1998, the movie Polgasari reemerges from the depths of cultural memory. No way. There's this Japanese film critic who remembers it. He launches a one-man campaign to screen the film in Korea, in South Korea, so that he gets a, a copy of the North Korean Godzilla film, and, he's, and he starts showing it in South Korean theaters, multiple theaters. And the movie bombs. Absolutely bombs. <laughs> I bet. A thousand, one thousand people paid actual money to see it. One thousand people, one. yes. Now, in 2001, an American company, they tried the same stunt. They're like, hey, we need to bring that Polgasari over to American shores. Maybe it'll be a hit like Godzilla. Yeah. No theatrical release this time. Instead, they're just like, let's well, go straight to video. So they go straight to video. There are VHS copies of this monster movie. And ever since then, for the last 20 years or so, it occasionally pops up. You'll see North Korean Godzilla in the wild. Yeah. It's just out there in America, wandering <laughs> in the dark. Pops up like in New York at a theater, maybe in L.A., maybe down in Austin. It's been shown in Canada, over in Bristol in the U.K. It pops up in places yeah. you would never expect. But if you're really curious, you can find it on YouTube. Just look up Paul Gasari. Nice. Now, after making his Godzilla remake, Kim Jong-il went in a very different direction. 
politics. He became <laughs> the monster of North Korea after his father died. But one of his last great acts, when he was still uh, not quite the leader, he had this giant sign erected outside the Ministry of Culture that said, make more cartoons. He decided <laughs> movies were not it. So it killed his love of movies. Oh so, Elizabeth, what is our ridiculous takeaway here? Oh, man. I don't know. <laughs> you know, something that I'm like still kind of hung up on is yes. them escaping the hotel in Vienna and they packed bags. Mm -hmm. Why? I, I, assume, I mean, can't you just buy underpants well, wherever you go? I assume that it was, they had some tapes that they had recorded. Okay. So they have this bag of tapes that they need to get because they need to prove to people that they were abducted and they have re secretly recorded him. Oh, okay. Saying, so that's what's so in have, their bag. They have it's records like, of him. And also, they also have other documents. And then they're, they're artists. So they have like mementos that they apparently wanted to keep of their time making movies. I don't know. I'm just imagining like a little like weekend bag and they're shoving swim trunks in there. I'm like, there's no time <laughs> aside from that. No, my takeaway uh it's interesting how film has such a, a grasp on people that yes. it's like such an incredible medium because you have the sound you have the sight and everything and all this emotion it's like the most cathartic immediate thing aside mm -hmm. from like live theater right but then but it it pulls people in and completely see it was just a, a intoxicating to, yes. to them it's amazing and intoxicating is the right word because like a like a film junkie, Kim Jong-il had to come back around to it. And in 2000, he had North Korea make another remake of a classic Western movie, this time Titanic. He was like, let's try one more time to Wait. see if we can get respect oh, no. from the Western audiences. So he made a North Korean Titanic. And I've watched some of it. It is horrendous. <laughs> it is terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. So that's my ridiculous takeaway. I like it. Thank you for asking, You're Elizabeth. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, you can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter and Instagram. The words are on the bird, the images are on the gram, and you get sneak peeks at new apps on both. Email us if you like at ridiculouscrime at gmail.com or just shout into the wind and maybe we'll hear it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by our man inside the Raider Nation suit, Dave Kustin. Research is by J. Lo historian Marissa Brown and Ben Affleck truther Andrea Song Charpentier. Our theme song is by dear band leader Thomas Lee and Minister of the Groove Travis Dutton. Executive producers are Ben Gorilla Porpoise Bolin and Noel Gorilla Dolphin Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.